Welcome to Medication Talk, the official podcast of TRC Healthcare, home of pharmacist's letter, prescriber's letter, RX Advanced, and the most trusted clinical resources. On today's episode, we'll listen in as our expert panel discusses strategies to help address social determinants of health in practice. Our guests today are Dr. Christopher Daly from the University at Buffalo School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences and TRC Editorial Advisory Board Member Dr. Andrea Darby-Stewart from the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. You'll also hear practical advice from other panelists on TRC's Editorial Advisory Board. Dr. Reed Blackwelder from East Tennessee State University, Dr. Stephen Carrick from the USC School of Medicine, Greenville, and Dr. Anthony Donato from the Reading Health System. This podcast is an extract from TRC's Emerging Recommendations Pedal webinar. Each month, experts and frontline providers discuss current medication therapy topics and practical recommendations to include in TRC's letter articles. The full webinar originally aired on June 19, 2023. And now, the CE information. Pharmacist Letter offers CE credit for this podcast. Please log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. None of the speakers have anything to disclose. Now, let's join TRC editor, Dr. Sarah Clockers, and start our discussion. We're talking about this now because you can help address social determinants of health, language and literacy skills, isolation, access to food and transportation, etc. So to kick us off on this very important topic, Andrea, can you briefly review what social determinants of health are and why they're important? Sure. So social determinants of health are basically any non-medical factor that really influences health outcomes. So think about things like the zip code that you were born in, your educational attainment, your job, your economic situation, both locally, personally, and at a policy level. What are the social norms that surround you? Are you impacted by structural racism? Climate change can have an impact in these areas, and even political systems can be important as part of social determinants of health. Basically, everything that happens in your patient's life outside of the 10 by 10 exam room where you see them are things that will really impact their ability to maintain their own sense of health and wellness. That's great. And I think, you know, some of the things we're reading is they're often overlooked. Uh, Chris, can you comment on why they're often overlooked and what does it mean to meet patients where, they're, where they are? Absolutely. I, th- I think that's a really important question to address in our practice. We, you know, when, when we meet our patients, we, we want to be able to engage them in their environment. And that means many different factors, their community, you know, um, as, as we mentioned, where they present their conditions. And that may be over iterations over time. Um, as healthcare professionals, we are highly trusted in our patients' lives and being able to develop those relationships is really key um, in the steps in how we deliver our care, but more importantly, identifying these concerns with patients really does take that trust factor. And and over time, uh, you're able to meet the patient where they are. Great, thank you guys for getting us Yeah. And I would, you know, I would add, oftentimes they're overlooked because they're hard. 
you know, uh, as, as clinicians and pharmacists, we're trained to think about anatomy and pathophysiology and pharmacology. And, you know, social determinants of health really require us to look at social systems and, and maybe have some moments of introspection about kind of the privileges that we might have had compared to others. Um, and I sometimes find that while these are areas that people want to approach, particularly as a medical educator, sometimes it's also harder to approach them because they require an extension of um, perhaps some empathy um, in areas where we may not be as comfortable. We can also discuss ways that prescribers or pharmacists practicing in an office setting can, can implement screening. Um, so just curious, Andrea, what are some different ways that you screen for these social determinants of health? Yeah, you know, this can be, I mean, if you think about it with that list of things that I uh, initially presented can seem fairly overwhelming. Um, there are certainly tools that you can use. The ones that are noted in um, our document are really terrific. The prepare document has 15 questions and five supplemental questions, and it can screen for special risk circumstances like being a migrant worker, military service, jail or prison status, refugee status, and it also looks for things like home or uh, food insecurity, loneliness and stress, as well as intimate partner violence. Um, there are shorter questionnaires available through the Everyone Project, which um, has an 11-question uh, um, document that focuses on housing, food, utilities, personal safety, transportation, and it specifically asks if the patient or the, the person uh, presenting to the office would like assistance in these areas, which is certainly uh, a very important question to use. And then CMS also has its very own health-related social needs screening tools that are available as well and truly identifies many of the same things that both the PREPARE and the Everyone Project documents um, incorporate. You know, different practices will incorporate these in different ways. Um, some will use them as a pre-visit electronic screen or will mail them out. Others will um, ask questions and have their MAs ask questions while they're rooming. And some will be direct questions by the clinicians. And in general, the biggest recommendation is just to screen for those things that you can also provide resources for, and probably not to try and, um, if this is new to your practice, not to just start with the entire questionnaire, but perhaps think about what might be the most urgent need in your community. Um, our clinic started uh, with food insecurity, and um, we're very surprised to find that one out of three patients in our clinic um, was food insecure when we first started this process about six years ago. In Arizona, that number is one in five, and we were actually higher than that. And we had the ability to refer patients into a local food bank to help with that. And so there was a success as well. We were able to identify people who needed help, and we were able to provide the solution to that problem, which was to be able to um, at least provide some food resources. So I generally recommend for those who aren't doing this regularly to start with something small and then uh, begin to increase the number of questions that you're asking depending on the resources that you have available to you. That's a great overview. And Andy, do you have any comments on how to incorporate screening tools in the hospital? And I know you have different resources in the hospital available as well. Yeah, the, obviously the hospital setting has a, um, uh, has an army of not just specialists, but social workers, which are very, very helpful at this because they're skilled at not only obtaining this information, but they know uh, all of the uh, uh, nooks and crannies of uh, what's available, who co who's covered for it. And that's 
incredibly helpful. But uh, I think just what's said is is critical here. I think we get very comfortable uh, hiding behind a script prescription pad. And I think there's just so much that goes involved that's involved in the patient experience that if you don't address these things, you're just never going to know what goes behind somebody that you've probably labeled as non-adherent. So I think just asking those basic questions, just with a with a just a sense of inquiry, what did it take you to get here? What did it take for you to get that that medicine? Kind of questions will give you a much stronger sense of why it is somebody hasn't been able to follow through with what you've asked. Thank you for that. And Chris, we often, you know, get questions and how we can incorporate pharmacy technicians or pharmacists to help screen for social determinants of health. So we're interested in what you, what your experiences are there. Absolutely. No, the strategies discussed, um, very practical and, and really a lot of these strategies still exist within the community pharmacy setting where we find, you know, resources very strapped when it comes to you know, expanding out to patient care programs. But um, being able to assess social vulnerability is really at the forefront and the needs of the community. Um, and community pharmacy is very well positioned uh, being one of the most, you know, accessible healthcare um, entities out there that can really engage with patients. And we see patients quite often um, in, in order to assess that overall. Um, so in, in developing strategies, and, and Sarah, you, you mentioned a, a really uh, important role there is, is to really, you know, embrace it with the team. First, I identify, you know, can keep it simple, focus on what the community needs, whether it's food insecurity, transportation, and then beyond that, be able to collaborate with community resources to expand out. And in that, you want to define specific staff roles uh, for engagement on patients. And some of these standardized um, forms that were mentioned are excellent and can be done while patients are waiting for uh, patient care services or waiting for a prescription. But even more importantly, extending it out to the team within the community pharmacy, maybe possibly delivery drivers um, or other key personnel, um, look for triggers, look for patients that, you know, may be presenting and say, I can't afford the medication because I, I can't pay for uh, my heating bill this month, or may come in and say, I don't know where my next meal is. And those important cues um, maybe can be directed back towards an individual with a little bit expanded training. Ideally, we're seeing expansion of community health workers within community pharmacies, uh, but even pooling with that and just having a centralized uh, pool for that doesn't necessarily need to be on the pharmacist. It could be a team-based effort here and putting those resources together, you're beginning to see uh, more expansion at this level throughout. So uh, please know that any small steps are positive steps and can help patients in many uh, great ways overall. And I think another piece is incorporating the screening and, and how do you approach patients to, to limit implicit bias, I guess is the, the question. So what are some suggestions you have for that? Well, in our clinic, we actually offer screening to everybody. And I would say that, you know, each patient has the opportunity to complete the screen at the time of uh, intake. Um, we, uh, and they also have the opportunity to decline the screening as well, which is, you know, certainly important. Um, and, you know, so other things that impact, uh, you know, the bias that we have in the clinic, you remember these are data points in time. And just because somebody screens positive or negative at, 
uh, the visit that they have with you on you know, June 19th doesn't mean that in August their situation won't change. And so being readily attuned to um, you know, asking the patient, how how are things going since our last visit? Has anything changed in your life? You know, not just the medications I gave you and not just how you're feeling physically, but what is, what is going on will oftentimes open up a discussion about those non-medical factors that are so important um, to be able to you know, impact their ability to, you know, again, be well and uh, pursue the amount of health um, that they have. And then, you know, just really important to remember that implicit bias just permeates, you know, healthcare and society and being, you know, acknowledging that each of us on the call um, has our own implicit biases and working to be cognizant of those. Our patients also have them as well. And um, making sure that we're communicating clearly um, and effectively and in ways that are um, best for our patients and ensuring that their understanding is the same as our understanding of their situation. Excellent. You bring up a really great point about asking open-ended questions, and you had some really good examples there. Um, in our article, we have, um, for instance, instead of saying, to take a diabetes med with breakfast, ask when is your first meal of the day? And perhaps the patient will share their fasting for cultural reasons or skipping meals to save money. So just by asking questions a little differently, um, you might get some information that you wouldn't get otherwise. Um, Chris, do you have any other suggestions or tips for how our community pharmacists can start a conversation? Absolutely. I, th I think when you're, um, when we're working with patients and, and, and we're going through many of the, you know, uh, clinical parameters that we want um, in order to meet at, at, at the end of the day and their goals, we, we also want to, as, as mentioned before, ask how, how they're doing overall. And in the community pharmacy, we know our touch points are many and it's iterative. So we, we may be seeing patients multiple times per month and just being able to be open-ended and have you know, resources available, maybe you know, out uh, in the open, there may be usage of signage, um, there may be um, you know, prescription tags, there, there may be some route back to a uh, you know, more familiar individual, a technician or delivery driver, be able to have that team-based approach in the community pharmacy. Doesn't necessarily centralize it on, on one in, individual, but um, over time, what we found in, in development of our programs, it really is a collective effort and eventually getting it back to that social determinants of health specialist, that potentially you know, community health worker that is in the setting who's trained to take the conversation to the next level has, has really shown to be uh, successful in you know, taking a potential positive screening uh, to a uh, referral where resources are uh, suggested and um, obtained by, by the patient. And, and that's how we've gone about and met many of our programs and approach and how I would suggest many community pharmacies start. That's great. And I think for our pharmacist letter, we have some wording on um, patient communication challenges and asking what language do you speak at home when updating profiles, you know, using the interpreter services or the pharmacy software to help you know, translate when necessary. So just a good reminder that there are many different communication challenges and we do have a great clinical resource 
um, called Overcoming Patient Communication Challenges for tips on communicating effectively with patients who are deaf or hard of hearing, blind or visually impaired, speaking different languages, et cetera. So I think this is a simple question you could ask that might get you um, able to hook up patients with the right resources. So that's great. And there was a comment too that sometimes pamphlets can be an issue. Uh, with liter literacy situations. Reed, did you want to comment on that? Yes. So, I mean, one of the issues is that uh, literacy is very embarrassing uh, a lot of times to people, and having information in pamphlets and even saying, uh, is this clear or do you have any questions doesn't get you where you need. So asking people perhaps how do they learn best. Um, you know, I've got a lot of information I want to share with you. What's the best way for me to share it is an open-ended question that lets them say, well, tell me, I listen well, I like to see pictures, I can't read. I mean, I was embarrassed. I found out uh, one patient, I made some assumptions about her literacy, and it took me, it was three years before I found out she couldn't read. Um, and that's when I learned that lesson. I'm, I'm sure I still screw up, but I, I learned that lesson um, that way, and I apologize to her for not having picked that up sooner. Excellent. And Dr. Carrick, I feel like you had a comment too about leading questions. That's a good, that's something I think we often do when we're in a hurry. Do you want to comment on some good questions that you might ask to get conversation started? Oh yeah. One that I like asking patients are, what are your healthcare goals or what are your goals in, in, in sort of management of conditions and, and asking them, well, what are some of those barriers? And, and that may even bring up some of these social determinants that are not uh, addressed in some of these questionnaires. Um, and another thing too, is just making sure you train your staff. Staff can sometimes, they're feel as rushed sometimes as we do and they ask questions such as, you don't have issues with getting food, do you? Um, and making sure they're just being mindful of how they're asking their tone, the way they're using their voices and interacting with patients can also help provide a more comforting and supportive environment for the patient. Those are excellent tips as well. Great, great questions to ask to get conversations started. And I think leverage the team is, is, a, is a key thing that we've heard today. And I think we also have a little section in the article on leveraging the team and working with local community health workers and health systems. Um, and so how can primary care practices connect patients to community resources? Um, Andrea, what are some things you guys have done in your practice? Yeah, so, you know, I have the privilege of working with uh, many people in my practice, including an ambulatory clinical pharmacist and uh, nutrition counselor, and they are frequent, um, uh, frequently able to um, help my patients find resources for medication, uh, for meal delivery. Um, we have a nurse care coordinator who's available, and I recognize that uh, the vast majority of practices don't have those resources available to them. And and so sites like um, 211.org and findhelp.org are zip code specific um, and can help you uh, find those resources in your local area. And so oftentimes uh, you can actually uh, print down uh, that information for your patient related to food, transportation, utilities, um, child care, job resources, anything um, that might be helpful for those patients 
perhaps include them in your electric, uh, uh, your medical record, put them out in a um, kiosk in printed format in your um, office space so that those patients who perhaps didn't get screened, didn't feel comfortable answering the screen, can still access those resources in a confidential manner and get the, um, the, the items or the things that they need um, so that they can um, address uh, these areas which are so important to their overall health. Excellent points. And I think we um, also wanted to just comment on follow-up. So once we have these resources, we are able to talk to the patient about what they're interested in, um, maybe at that time. Um, how do you ensure follow-up with your patients? Yeah, so, you know, for myself and, you know, I would certainly love to hear um, how Reed and the other clinicians on the call uh, do this as well. But, you know, our uh, my MA team and I have a pretty close and tight understanding of the patients that we serve. And, you know, we do try and uh, make phone follow-up or, in my case, uh, portal message follow-up if they have access to that. And that can certainly be an issue for people who have communication resource needs. Um, and you know, and then ask if they would like us to continue um, with assistance in this area as well. Again, this is a very fluid um, process, and those patients that need resources at one visit may not need them at the next, and so being respectful of um, how they want to approach this as part of their care is also an important part of what we do. Awesome, and I just want to circle back to... Um, one of our lines in the article that I think you guys touched on previously, and that's just asking patients to help prioritize what is most important to them. So kind of meeting where, where they are and taking care of what's important to them right at that moment. Um, Chris, do you have anything else to comment on before we wrap up this topic? Yes, on, on that point on follow-up, what we found is in meeting the patients where they are, they might may present with multiple concerns and prioritizing those with what is most important is, is really key because once the referral is made, you know, the follow-up actually starts with the expectation of what are the next steps. And in many cases, whether we're doing um, a referral platform or to, a, to community-based organizations or even self-referral, what's gonna happen next? And will the community-based organization be reaching out? what is the best number, what times of day. So whatever we can do to help hand off that process in the best way is really gonna be key uh, to seeing the referral through. And, and most importantly, being able to follow up with our patients is so key because a patient who may screen positively uh, for multiple uh, resources is really gonna need that continuum of care. And in the case of pharmacy, those, uh, those priorities may be before you can solve the, the medication concerns. So transportation and other economic costs are really key to that as well. So if I can encourage our, our audience to think about that when establishing your program, that's really going to be key to getting the referral successes. We hope you enjoyed and gained practical insights from listening into this discussion. Now that you've listened, you can receive CE credit from Pharmacist Letter. Just log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. You'll also be able to access and print out additional materials on this topic, like charts and other quick reference tools, from the Pharmacist Letter website. If you're not yet a Pharmacist Letter subscriber, find out more about our product offerings at trchealthcare.com.
Be sure to follow or subscribe, rate, and review this show in your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word about our show and is a great way for you to let us know how we're doing. You can also reach out to provide feedback or make suggestions by emailing us at contactus at trchealthcare.com. Thanks for listening to Medication Talk.